This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, it's a bit of a, bit of a uh, dejected solemn one today. The World Cup dream is over. But don't worry, we've still got your back, haven't we, Jamie? Yes, we have. Um, like We've had what, 24 hours to recover from disappointment now. Um, and yeah, we're, we're here to, to brighten your days, hopefully. How's your day been brighten, Lee? I'll be honest, um, I'm over it. Uh, no, I, I'm not over it at all. I'm quite <laughs> good to do it. Um, I genuinely thought it was coming home, but Sadly, it's not this time. Um, but we move on, and I think we're good enough to compete in future. So, yeah, let's be positive, eh? Yeah. So, um, I think we'll delve into the France game, eh? And then we've got a couple of things we can look at later on, aren't we, before we leave? Um, so, yeah, let's let's start with the, the, the France game. I mean, the, the, the team. Jamie, did you think he picked... How did Southgate rate for you in this game? Did, did he pick the right side to start off with? Well... They've just come back off a 3-0 win in the last game. And a lot of people say don't change a winning formula. I was very surprised he didn't change it, but I was also quite happy. Obviously, he kept Kyle Walker in, who did, for the most part, keep Mbappe quite quiet. Um, and, yeah, fair play to Southgate for sticking with it because I think a lot of people would have predicted going back to three at the back and for this and just to try and be more solid. But all he did was prove that we can take a game to a big nation. Um, yes, we didn't win, but we can hang with them playing the way we want to play football. He wasn't dictated to by what France were doing, which was great to see. Yeah, yeah I mean, Lee, it was really nice to see, like James just alluded to there. For the first time, it seemed that we went into a big game and we sort of stood tall and said, this is our game, you deal with us. It was great to see. I think we, we said in the last pod, didn't we, that we we wanted him to just keep that same side and, and show faith in them. Show faith in them. And on the on the 90 minutes, he did get a good performance out of them. I don't think we started great. I'll be honest. I don't think we were too confident the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, but we definitely grew into the game. And, and on the balance of it, we had enough of that game to say, yeah, we were probably the better team footballing-wise on the day. Yeah, I think we... Like you say, I think we were the better side on the day. Not saying by any stretch we we you know battered France off the field or anything like that. Um, but I definitely think we had you know the 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 lion's share of the game, especially as as the match went on. 
and it's um, it was a bit of a sucker punch goal the Giroud one, um, Jamie. For me, it felt against the run of play. It was just weird because he'd had a chance like not long before and he hadn't taken it. And then it was just, for me, we were just, the only laps that England had were they were slow in getting out on both goals um, for me. And they were slow uh, stopping the Tukumeni shot and they were slow getting out to Griezmann whipping that ball in. Um, and yeah, Giroud is, if you're going to give him the space in the box, he's, he, he will punish you. Um, but yeah, it was just one of them. Two lapses of concentration, two French goals, and that's that's how clinical they can be. Yeah, I mean, obviously we mentioned the Giroud one there. I mean, uh, that I can't get away from the fact that was that was a foul for me on Saka for the first goalie. How was he? How was the ref? So I mean, he, he sort of had a poor game all night, didn't he? The ref, but for me, he should have. That was a foul on Saka, and he's just sort of like say, let it go. I mean, when the balls then travelled, what, 60 yards up the pitch before being scored, you know, find its way into the net, can, can you blame that, that, or should it be dealt with between there, you know, that foul and the ball sort of get, you know, being struck? I, th- I think it was unfortunate. Um, he's certainly not going to blame it for the goal. Uh, there's a lot of football between that incident and the goal taking place. But it was frustrating at the, at the moment, because if you think back, obviously, rather than going 1-0 down a few minutes later, we should have been perhaps whipping a free kick into the box. When you look at it that way, you think, oh yeah, we have been done a little bit there. But still, you know, every goal in some way or another is preventable. And if you, if you watch the first goal, they back off Mbappé a little bit, he cuts inside, he's too quick for Declan Rice, plays another pass. And then the shot itself, it was a really, really good shot. I have to say, watching the replays, I think Pickford will say himself, he, he probably should have got that. Um, but just because of the distance and the fact that it was low, a little bit unsighted. Um, but I, I don't want to be too harsh on on any individual England player. Um, I, I think when you go back to the foul on Saka, what was significant is in that quite early in the game that they've got away with that. And I think this is actually one of the details that's, that's got France over the line because they, they were just that little bit rougher with us. And they pushed it and they've got away with it. Now, we have been a notoriously clean side no yellow cards until late in, in this game. It's the first one. To get that far, you say it's an achievement, but you can look back at us going out and say that perhaps we've been a little bit too nice and a little bit too respectful. If Griezmann was one of our players, he'd have got the sack of treatment and he'd been brought down every single time the ball went near him. So, And they know that they can get away with it because if you look at the other three, uh, the other three quarters, look at the sides that have gone through. You know, it's, it's, it's more the rough outsides rather than the pretty ones, isn't it, really? If you look at Morocco, not Portugal, Croatia, Brazil, it, the, the signs are there in, in all those games that referees are kind of letting a lot go. And I think France have just been a little bit more aware of that. And I think we, they did sort of get away with a lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect them to, and it felt very unfair um, when we do play a pretty clean game. We do play some really nice football when we're allowed to as well. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe there's only been two red cards in this whole tournament, which would be Wayne Hennessy's for Wales, which was overturned on VAR. He wasn't even given as red on the field, even though he Schumacher-esque, you know, he took the guy's head off. And there was the sending off for Morocco, wasn't there, in injury time in their quarterfinal, which was for two yellows. I have got that right, haven't I? No. Abubakar for Cameroon. 
take my shirt off, celebrate with <laughs> in yellow. Bye bye. Absolute classic. Yes. Again, that was late on. Again, two bookings as yeah. well, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you think three? Okay, so three red cards in what are we up to now? Sixty games. Do you think? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you Ooh, think yeah, that's showing there's been quite a lenient? You know, the, the refs maybe have been given a sort of a directive. You know, we don't want to see cards. We don't want to see reds. <laughs> Someone didn't give the memo to that Spanish ref. Did well, he got a bit carried away, didn't he? But he didn't send anyone off, did he? Jimmy, uh, after after the whistle, I think he did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, like during the game, it seems like no. there could be some sort of that. Has been a directive, you know? We want to see eleven v eleven. You know, we, as a spectacle, yeah. it keeps it. The, that's what you know. People want to see. Card, red cards can ruin games. Is that what FIFA is sort of passing on to officials, do you think? Well, like, so from that side of things, like, why put rules in place if you're not going to give reds for when the rules are being broken? Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. That, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not um, Yeah, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying is that the reason why we're Is that what they're doing? Leaning? Yeah. It, it could possibly be that way. But again, like, FIFA don't know what they're doing. Um, it, that Gianni Infantino has not got a clue. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't think he was a football man with some of the stuff he comes out with. Uh, but if that was the directive going into the World Cup, then it was the complete wrong directive. Whether it's good for a spectacle or not, rules are rules. Exactly. This, like, this is a World Cup, not, yeah. not a preseason friendly tournament. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, can you imagine if the laws were applied over here so loosely as they are in football? Yeah, you'd have people running around committing all sorts of crimes, but like rules are there to be followed. So follow the rules, follow the protocol. Griezmann should not have been on the pitch. Theo Hernandez potentially shouldn't have been on the pitch. There was a lot going on in that game last night that the French got away with, uh, which is that it's not down to the French. They they don't police it. It's not down to them. That's down to the referee, and the referee was absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, I mean, I think I sort of messaged you guys, didn't I, towards the second half, saying the, the French are pushing the luck with this here. But again, yeah. they're going to keep doing it until they find where the boundary lies, aren't they? Yeah, of course they are. And like, like I said, that referee, and you'll you'll catch this anywhere, anywhere where anyone watched that game last night and everyone will have the same opinion. This isn't just the English being English and complaining. This is the English being fully justified in that a referee who refereed this game was not competent. And we've we've suffered, and people can say we've had two penalties and stuff like that. Doesn't matter. We should have had three, and two players should have been sent off potentially. It's, it's yeah. It's for me. It's it's a joke. Yeah, it's like if you continue to foul in the box, then expect to concede penalties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there wasn't the one that didn't get given was probably more of a penalty than than the the one that got given that Kane missed. And then uh, VAR decided, no, still can't see the penalty that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And going back to the, the goal where Saka was fouled as well um, in the lead-up to Francis first, um, th- that can retrospectively be looked at because it was the same phase of play. France never lost the ball. The play never broke up. It all went through the same move. I thought that. 45 yeah. seconds gone or not. That, that could have been brought back and VAR should have looked at that and that goal should have been disallowed because that was a foul. 
I think that the frustrating thing there is, as we've seen in the past, it's almost if VAR wants to find a reason to disallow a goal, that kind of thing definitely yeah. counts. Definitely. Yeah. We've seen that a lot of times. And consistency shouldn't actually be part of the argument when we're talking about video-assisted refereeing. It's more yeah. consistent than ever. I thought when VAR came in, I thought, oh, it'll be a good thing because it'll... You know, the, the big club bias, for example, or big side bias, you know, where referees, for whatever reason, and I'm not saying they even purposely do it, I think they subconsciously they can give decisions to, you know, to the bigger players, the bigger clubs, um, and you sort of feel well, that'll be eradicated because VAR, you know, when you can watch something back on video and apply the laws and think about your decision before you have to make it in a split second, then... That's yeah. going to eradicate all that, but I don't think it has. I think because you're still seeing human error, even in VAR, which really shouldn't be happening. No, and that that's where you have to question what sort of training these people have gone through with this VAR, and and the actual laws of the game to to work out how to apply it properly. Um, I honestly think that it shouldn't be referees or anything like that who are who are judging the VAR. I actually think it probably should be for the players. I think the trouble with VAR is ultimately it always still comes down to a human making a decision, if, especially when you're reviewing things and just trying to make your mind up. Did he do that on purpose? Was that as a result of that, etc.? I don't think that the, the video replay and being somebody being able to watch it, I don't think the video itself makes any decisions, does it? You know, the, there's still somebody got to take responsibility for it. And I think, like Jamie said, they're ex-players. They're, they're the kind of people that you want making those calls, really, and those decisions. Even saying that, how many times, and you could probably sit and think of a few yourself, where something's happened in the past and you've had three or four ex-player quality pundits disagree, and they still disagree a week, a month, a year later. At some point, you have to accept that not everybody's going to agree on this. You know, However you're interpreting the rules, it doesn't matter. They all understand the rules the same and they see that incident as something different. And I think when you look at it that way, ultimately, why, why just not take all of that away and go back to a human, making a decision and making mistakes occasionally. There was definitely less debate doing it that way. Certain things, yeah, I, you know, go on technology. Anything that's just sort of definite computers making the decision, say, it's this... obvious, use it. Excellent, yeah. I mean, yeah. even off, offside should be black and white. Either offside or isn't. It's not a... Yeah. There's no... There shouldn't be a... There shouldn't be like a, a human thought process that goes into determining whether it is or not. It's like... Either he is in an offside position or he isn't. But it appears that, that again, so some refs will make a decision. Yeah, you, he's offside there, draw that line there, or oh no, the line goes there. That's right. We've seen mistakes attributed to the line put in the wrong place. We're supposed to actually accept that. A line was put in the wrong place, the wrong angle, the wrong direction. So we made the incorrect decision. Well, that doesn't happen yeah. when you've just got a linesman or, or an assistant referee just looking down and seeing. They either get it right or they get it wrong, but it's surprising how many times they get it right. Yeah. Arsene Wenger got that right, the, the way he said it should be applied. Daylight. If there's daylight between the last defender and the striker, offside. If there ain't, he's onside. Yeah, it's either that or you name. Instead of having like any size, of any part of the, the body or whatever, it should be like the foot. If your foot is in yeah. front of their foot, then you have to... Because then it's simple, isn't it? It's, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that applying the foot in football would be quite easy. Yeah. Uh, but, but apparently not. 
But yeah, I, I honestly, and Wenger said it years ago, Arsene Wenger did that, um, it should be daylight. If there's clear daylight between the defender and the attacker, then yes, he's offside. If there isn't, give the attacker the benefit of the doubt. Because why are you making football boring by disallowing everything? That's the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. It almost feels sometimes, and I may be wrong, but it just, but it just feels that you sometimes, when a goal gets scored, you think there might be someone in that VAR office who's thinking, I'm going to try and do my very best to find a way to disallow this goal. It almost feels that way. Oh, yeah. like any reason to do it, it's like, no, 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 no. You're not the goal police. It's not about that. <laughs> you know? yeah. Not bad things goals on. I be like goals. Three words. <laughs> Clear and obvious. That's what it was brought out for, wasn't it? Errors yeah. that were yeah. clear and obvious. Mm. We should have re-refereed that whole game last night because it was clear and obvious that that referee had no idea what he was doing. And let's get back onto that game. Eh? I think we've got plenty of time to uh, to, to get into um, VAR, VAR in future, <laughs> future <laughs> podcasts. Um, so, yeah, like on this one like I say we've sort of gone there I mean Kane the first we've obviously got two penalties I the first one he's buried and see the first penalty um, I just as soon as that second penalty was given it's not even a hindsight thing I just do not like it doesn't matter who the player is I do not like the same player taking two penalties in a game I think there's just too much going on there in the red, too much, especially when he's. I think the added thing of having a, his club mate in goal as well. Yeah. He could have just, for me, I, I, I would have been much. If somebody else had stepped up and missed, I'd have gone. That's fine. That's because. It, but then, do you, how, how do you guys feel on, on that? I, I think in that situation, if Kane doesn't take that penalty and say Rashford steps up and misses. Kane gets vilified for not taking the penalty. I think he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't. Um, and you have a designated penalty taker, whether they have to take five penalties in a game. I'm, I'm Each penalty taker. That. Yeah, I am pretty much with that. And Harry, Harry yeah. Kane, if you ask Harry Kane what he'd prefer to do, he'd take all five penalties in the game if there were five, like you say. I think he'd want to. Yeah. I think he'd want to yeah, take a penalty and not put the responsibility onto any other player at all. He's yeah. not hit it well at all. He'll be angry with himself. He's lost concentration. He, you, you can say he's got a teammate in goal. And there's a lot to think about, but he, you know, you, you've got to hit the target. You've got to work the keeper there, and he's going to be so so disappointed with that. It's unspeakable how disappointed he's going to be. Yeah, at, at, at the same time as well, he's the captain. He's took responsibility, uh, which is good to see for whether he scored or he didn't. But if you're thinking about the way the penalty was awarded and everything like that, at that point, Giroud had not long scored. And England are probably thinking, yeah, we've we've blown this. And then they've been given a penalty out of nowhere. And suddenly Kane's like, hold on, I've got a chance to get us back in this game. This is on me. This is all on me. And then he's pressured himself. Um, take, take out the, the pressure of the fact that it's a World Cup quarterfinal and you've got five minutes to find a goal that they probably didn't think they were going to find. Because um, I think the belief had gone when Giroud scored. Um, and Southgate was just throwing people on in the hopes of something happening, which he did with Mason Mount. He won the penalty. Uh, more French idiocy than it was Mason Mount quality. But, um, what was yeah, I think Kane's just uh, not not um, 
not really thought about the magnitude of the whole thing because he didn't think he was going to get another chance. And then he's piled the pressure all upon himself and it's resulted in the penalty going high, wide and not at all handsome. Yeah, I think you've pretty much summed it up quite well there. Um, I think, yeah, sort of everything was on that penalty once it was last five minutes yeah. of a World Cup course final against the reigning champions and possibly between possibly the two best teams left in the competition in my eyes. Um, it was to break Rooney's record, be the highest goal scorer for England. Uh, it was um, obviously, like I say, he had his club mate in goal. It was it was fighting back. It was given from VAR after initially not being given. Um, I think he'd already scored one in the game. He sort of had, yeah. I can say, everything, every possible added little nugget of of. Um, pressure or whatever was in there wasn't it and it wasn't just yeah. a normal penalty for thing. there was everything that could possibly have been there I don't think there's anything missing to be honest <laughs> no and yeah and I mean like you said as well it's not like a Premier League penalty in the last minute or something like that where you're going to be able to put this right into in like three days time he's got to wait four years for another World Cup now providing he's still in the squad to try and put that right um, and that's that's the sort of stuff that will weigh someone down. It'll pressurise them. Whether they can be the calmest person in in the world, look at some of the big players who've missed penalties in the time. And Harry Kane's no different to them. He's just a human being who's felt pressure in a situation, run up to the ball, not concentrated, smash the ball over. It's it's happened to some of the most composed players, normally English players. Um, <laughs> if you go back to Beckham in two thousand and four. Um, he skied one, didn't he? And yeah, uh, I don't think anyone can blame Harry Kane. Fair play for stepping up, taking responsibility, captain in your country. We haven't underperformed. We've gone out playing well, and that's. I said this on the previous pod. If we go out against France, if we play well, it's fine, and that's what we did. Yeah, we have. We we perform well. There's, there's we just sort of said it with all of them. There'll be no regrets. There'll be no thing, but. This, with that penalty, you think there'll always be the regret for for Kane himself, and I, I do. I'll be honest, I do feel I feel sorry for him in the respect of I don't think he deserves to be remembered by people going forward as the man, the man who missed the penalty that that you know knocked us out of the World Cup in the same way as you say Beckham there, two thousand four. So yeah. Beckham's probably more than even ninety eight, isn't he, that he will be remembered, or you know Southgate, yeah. Waddle, Pierce. You know, the, yeah. When you think of those players, automatically straight away you go to those incidents, don't you? Yeah, of course you do, and it's the same's going to be done with um, Saka for the miss at the Euros. Yeah, um, and yeah, that's not how he'll want his England career to be remembered. And to be fair to Saka, uh, what a game the old lad had! Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, really, really I, I said to you guys, I said to you didn't at half time, you to that. I felt he tried everything first half, but nothing was coming off. And it looked a bit like he was, I said, he looked like he was out of his depth. Not that I think he is out of his depth at that level, but on that 45, yeah. it was as if like, he could just couldn't do anything right, but he was, but he kept going and kept going. And then after half time, yeah. it was as if the switch just went and everything he tried that he carried on going and he worked his way through it, obviously because he was a danger every time he got the ball in the second half. I mean, 
with what I said at half time, Lee, did you sort of agree with that or did you did you think he was actually um, contributing more in the first half that I was giving him credit for? I, I don't think his performance in the first half was significantly worse than any other England player. Because I don't think we were great. I, I think we needed them to score to wake us up properly. Um, but I, I do agree that he, he did seem to be frustrated a little bit. You know, they, they were giving him the, the close treatment as well. They'd identified him as a danger player and they were right to. And they, they gave him that pretty much all game. And I think if the referee, I'm not going to keep going over the referee, but I think if the referee had called it, you know, perhaps just even Stevens, I think he'd, he'd have won a lot of fouls in that game. And it, the whole balance and the way that the game went could could have been very different. Uh, but it, it's good to see that he's he's come. And like, like Jamie's just said about the Euros, you know, his career could have gone one way or the other. But his stock's never been higher, really. He, he's been really impressive. And he's, I, I've said it before a few times, his maturity, um, especially in the, like, like that game is a difficult, difficult game to be in. And it, he seems like he's learned from the high pressure of the previous tournament. And in that second half, really came in, into his own and, and made a serious impact. And he's another one there where you, you're thinking he's going to definitely be starting, no matter who's the England manager for the next tournament. Yeah, I mean, we're getting quite the core of a, of a, of a good, solid, young side, aren't we? I mean, we'll touch on this mm-hmm. later on as to, you know, how we're sort of going to be looking going forward. But, I mean, on the other side up front, I mean, Foden started his third game in a row. Do you, how did you judge his performance, Jamie? Um, Very quiet. Um. It was he was better second half. I feel like him and Saka, as you like said, Dan, you weren't you weren't giving Saka any grief for his performance in the first half. It was just nothing was coming off. Um, and then, like you said, when everything started coming off, it didn't just start working for Saka. It started working for Foden as well. Um, and he looked a lot livelier in the uh, the the opening sort of twenty minutes of the second half. Uh, and then I feel like he died off a little bit. I don't think we got Rashford on quick enough. Um, and that was possibly what was needed. We needed Rashford maybe a little bit quicker. Um, just because I think, I, I think, and I said this, I don't know whether it was to you guys in the chat, that I think Foden's wasted out wide for England. Mm. Um, and I think he's more, in an England side, he's more of a number 10. I think it's different when you play the 4-3-3 for Man City than it's when you play the 4-3-3 for England. And I think he gets lost out wide with England, whereas with City, he doesn't get lost because the game goes to him. Um, And I just think when the ball, like everything we were doing was down the right because France's attacks were all coming with Mbappe. Our defending was all coming with Kyle Walker, who was then playing out to Saka. Everything was right on side, everything. So... Um, yeah, I, I just don't feel like Foden did enough to to say that when you're saying we're growing a spine of a team, that Foden is a guaranteed starter. Do you, do you think that at Man City, Lee, that, that they, whereas England sort of stretched the play and stretched the field, hence why they played with sort of like the pace out wide of either a Rashford or a Saka, um, that maybe Man City do the opposite, don't they? And they sort of work their way up as a unit. And that's how, even though the same formation, 4-3-3, 4-3-3, like you say, Foden is a lot less effective for England because England's attacks are more based on pace and people, whereas Man City's are 
more intricate passing, isn't he? And he's always got somebody close for a like a given a given go kind of scenario. He doesn't the midfield don't generally support as high up the field as Manchester City's would. I think it's a fair comment. It's not the same role, is it? Like you say, it's, it's the same formation, but as a team, they act completely differently. So Foden, he does need to find a way to adapt to England's style of play or England need to find a way to get Pep Guardiola in charge. <laughs> One of the two. Um, I, I think, being really honest though about Foden, he's a, a really top quality footballer anyway. It's not like he's he's a a player that couldn't adapt slightly given the time. You've got to remember that he is still pretty young and he's had a lot of football at City. He's really been nurtured there um, from a pretty young age, you know, say in the last three or four years, but under Guardiola's sort of way and instruction, and he has been brought up as a, a top Guardiola player. That doesn't mean he, he walks into any other side, though. You do sometimes find players, they, they become that, don't they? They become like a, a specific part player. Um, and they become sort of attached to one manager's way of playing and they just don't adapt when they go to other clubs. Uh, so I'm not saying that's him. He's still young and he's really intelligent as well. And, and when you watched him in the game in the second half last night, he showed qualities in his game that he ne- doesn't necessarily show at City. I mean, he even saw him winning a header at some point against Koundé. And, and it's things like that that you don't expect from him. So, you know, yeah, yeah well, I think we still p- persevere with him, but I don't know if he's necessarily a shoe-in just yet. I think Saka is far closer to being uh, one of the the definites, if you like. Yeah, I think, like I say, I think in time he's too good a player not to have an extended run in this England side. I think it's like I say, it's it's whichever comes first, either England sort of move the team or the tactics around and it suits him, or whether he develops and understands the role he needs to be play for England, which. He seems to have adapted and, and gone with the what's expected of him at Manchester City. Seems a very intelligent footballer. So, like I say, in time, hopefully, he'll come. But I think he's, I think he's got too much ability not, not to become a regular at some point in this England side. Some players suit different formations better. So, in the formation and the the setup that England have got, there's going to be other England players that actually look better than him at times. And then if they were to play in Manchester City's system, he'd look like five times the player, you know, and that's it. It's what they've been asked to do. But it's like you say, he's intelligent, he's young, and he does show. It's not like he's anonymous in England games. He's perhaps not as prominent as he is at Man City, but Man City do have a lot of the ball. The attacking players do get a lot of chances to play with it, don't they? And and I think with, with us in a big game, we didn't have as much of the ball as, as we'd like all the time. But to be fair, last night, we, we did actually have quite a bit. Of, but the problem is, is all of the attacks and all of the pushing that we did, it's when we're behind and chasing a game. And I think statistically, that can almost make you look like you've dominated a game. But you can dominate when you're 1-0 down. That's OK. And, and I think it's a case of we pushed and pushed. If we'd have got the first goal, then numbers might look different because, you know, the psychology of the game changes, France push, and we try and preserve that. So I, I think with, I don't know now with England, but I don't know where we actually go from here, to be honest, um, not, to, not to try and change the subject. But it was quite frustrating to see that last night, um, that we'd, we'd put what I consider to be a strongest team out. We'd give the good young players a chance and they've gone and they've performed and they've done everything and we've still managed to get beat in 90. So incredibly frustrated. Yeah, I mean, 
Another thing that was massively um, positive for me was how quiet we kept Kylian Mbappe after all the talk pre-match of, you know, what an influence he is and how vital he'd be. I think they definitely did a great job in, in quieting him down, to be honest. Well, they had a, they had a two-year plan for him, didn't they? They'd been planning this for two years. So, I mean, if you're planning something for two years and then get it completely wrong, you, your plan's not good. Um <laughs> But, so, yeah, um, in terms of keeping him quiet, Carl Walker did his job. Saka got back, defended, helped out. Henderson was was vital on that right-hand side as well, coming back to help cover, um, which enabled us to play the four at the back because the cover around Carl Walker was so good. Um, but I just think because we focused so much on Mbappe, Griezmann was allowed to pull strings that he should never have been allowed to pull. Um, and he was a big reason that France were so good because, like we said, Mbappe was well-covered but we didn't cover off Griezmann. Then Bailey was kept quite quiet by Luke Shaw as well. He did he did really well on the left. Um, but yeah, Griezmann was just allowed to pick up the half spaces, turn, sort of pick out his passes as and when he wanted to. And then he wandered over to the wing and whipped it across for Giroud to score the winner. I mean, um, yeah, it's, we, it wasn't justice, but um, if you're going to give a player like Griezmann that sort of space, he's going to punish you. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, Lee, we obviously, like you say, Griezmann ended up being the one who sort of dictated the game for France, didn't he, in, in, the, uh, in the final third. Um, do you think, you know, did we put too much emphasis on Mbappe like, as, as, as a defensive unit? I'm not necessarily say as a unit. I think we're aware of the danger. And I think he showed quite early Mbappe, to be fair. There was a moment, perhaps, I don't know, three or four minutes in, and he's He's ran at Carl Walker and he's moved that quick. He's like watching uh, Blake Mayweather or something. He was that sharp. I mean, whoa, he is razor sharp, this lad is. So you can you can understand that any, any defence being aware of him. I think with Griezmann, he's, he's a top quality player. And for me, he was probably, I, I, he probably was the man of the match for me. I know some people think Giroud and what have you, but I just think he had a major influence on the way that the, the French managed to do what they did. Um, just being an outlet for them, playing smart passes, couple of excellent deliveries, um, including the one for the goal, obviously. Um, we, we should really... I said that we should kick Mbappe before the game. I had no shame in saying that. And I think we should have kicked him as well. And I think if you see this, they kicked Saka, and it's like, yeah, we definitely should have kicked him. And I, I said it earlier on in this very podcast, but if, if he was one of our players, that's the treatment he would have got. And JB's right, he probably shouldn't have even been on the pitch anyway. Um, but that's it. He, you know, he's controversial. He's got in people's faces too. He's done a lot um, for, for France on the day. And like I say, I, th- I don't think they'd have won it without his his kind of performance. Someone doing what he did. He, he was a bit. He was almost like the, the talisman that Mbappe couldn't be because we did have a very close eye on him. Yeah, he sort of found the sort of pockets of space, didn't he? And you know, mm. about twenty five, thirty yards out, picked up the ball, and then just you know. Could he find Giroud? Could he find Mbappe? Could he find? He's always there, always there to relieve the pressure as well. When our attacks broke down, he always seemed to be there picking up the scraps or in them little triangles getting it back out again. It was uh, just just an overall. He'd be really happy with his performance. He'll know the the damage that he's done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's. Is there anything else anyone wants to add about the actual match itself? As as purely. Football in spectacle for drama if you're a neutral. It was a very good game to watch, um, apart from the refs spoiling it. But I think 
both sides had the moments. Better team probably lost, which is a which just seems to be a theme of football over the last god knows how many years. Uh, that the best <laughs> best teams do tend to lose more than they win. Uh, but no, uh, I I don't want France to go on and win it following this because uh, I think it'd be a bit sour uh, for myself. I, I'm all aboard Morocco myself. The boys. We'll get on to the boys in a minute. <laughs> um, Lee, anything you want to add? No, I'd rather not discuss this game ever again, uh, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, I will say, um, overall, even though, yeah, we, we probably had the better of a lot of statistics and metrics, um, I've got no real complaints that France went through. And the overriding sentiment is that even though the referee was indeed poor, um, I think we should have tested that a little bit ourselves and just seen how poor, how poor he really was. Because if, if they're going to get away with it, that gives you the idea that perhaps we might do as well. And and I think that was a big part of France, just reading it a little bit and just realising they could and pushing him and pushing him further and it worked. And we've had it done to us before. Um, so I, I don't have many complaints purely because I think that we could have done a little bit more in that regard. Um, but I'm still proud of them. I thought we played some excellent football. And even on that, in losing on, on the night, I still think we played some really impressive stuff too. So I am positive for the next tournament. Um, one thing I would like to say before we go is Declan Rice, I thought was absolutely immense in the middle. Um, I thought Jude Bellingham had another great game as well. Um, some people have said he was quite quiet uh, for them and they thought he wasn't at his best. But for me, I thought he was he was linking up the midfield and the attacks really well and he seemed to be you know, buzzing about and getting involved in a positive way um, quite you know, quite often. And I think Declan Rice had a bit of a pivotal part to play. I mean, the one thing he probably did miss was um, taking out sort of Mbappe, didn't he, for the, for the first goal where he sort of slid in for a tackle and he sort of Mbappe yeah, rode it into and if he did just maybe. Yeah. But then again, yeah, if he had brought him down, they could have just put the free kick in the top corner as well. So, <laughs> yeah, but then you're, you're leaving that to the footballing gods, then, aren't you? If he puts that in the top bins, then fair play. Yeah. In, those, but, um... in those moments, I'd be I'd be very willing to give credit to Mbappe for not taking the foul, skipping past him because he can as well. I like to see that. So, credit to Mbappe. He is good. <laughs> he's very fast and he's yeah. very sharp. He's good. Oh, it's so depressing how quick he is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is yeah. literally depresses the life out of me watching him run past someone. Um, but yeah, again, like like you both said now, like we've gone out to France. It is it is what it is. We've we've lost to a very good team, defending world champions. Um, but yeah, I just as you said about Rice, I thought the whole England midfield was really good. Henderson, yeah. Bellingham, and Rice four as a three. They were they were fantastic. Uh, the pressing was there. We were winning the ball back in dangerous areas quite a lot in the first half. And then I think they sort of left Jordan Henderson to press on his own a little bit uh, in the second half because he just seemed to be, every time we cleared the ball, Henderson was the furthest man forward chasing down Loris. Uh... <laughs> um, to be honest, I, I, can't pick out, I can't pick out a player from last night that was that had a poor game. I think Harry Kane's match, he'll get remembered for missing that second penalty. But for me, I think he had a really good game. I mean, I, I saw somebody actually... Um, when I was out today, and he, he said he's one of the best games he remembers Kane actually playing for England. And he just mm. he, he was you know, dropping deep. He was leading the line. He was 
everything he was involved in everything was was what he he sort of said to me. And yeah. I think he did. I think he had a real positive game. Um, yeah. Again, it was like I say just a shame that he got overshadowed by that that second miss, didn't it? He showed a lot yeah. of pride, didn't he, in the game, Harry? Especially, yeah. especially first half. Yeah, I mean, he was carrying the ball. He was coming back, linking play up, playing some good passes. Uh, he ran past people a couple of times just to just to wait for support and stuff like that. Held the ball up very well. Uh, if I was to press, if I was pressed about who I thought was England's worst player, um, and it would be a very harsh award of this as well, but it would be Phil Foden. I thought he was the least ineffective on the pitch, and he didn't have a bad game. But he was the least ineffective of everyone on that pitch. Yeah. As for man of the match, so we have Super Bowl out as per usual. Uh, but all the players you did get on, uh, Jay Manifold added Defo, not the ref. That got 6% of the vote. <laughs> um, Adrian Briggs added on the Brazilian ref. He got 1% of the vote. <laughs> um, but with, we did get 179 votes. Um, the actual ref. <laughs> Yeah, actual ref. No, he was uh, third place was Kyle Walker with fourteen percent. Second place was Jude Bellingham with sixteen percent, and the winner was Bukayo Saka with thirty-four percent of the vote. Yeah, I think that's as it should be. Yeah, that's fair. They probably were the best three players as well. Yeah, Saka, Bellingham, Walker. Um, It reminded, it made me laugh with Walker. There was like. uh, there was, there was a couple of times where he went forward and then we lost the ball and very quickly, it was as if it was a France plan, right, if Walker goes forward and we win the ball back, we get it to Mbappe very quickly. And Henderson yeah. had gone over, like you pointed out, Jamie, Henderson had gone over to the right yeah. to stand, basically stand him up. And I think it was the case of if he knocks the ball past him, he's going to clean him out. And that was Henderson's yeah. plan. And Mbappe sort of put his foot on the ball and looked around. And decided not to try and run Anderson. I think he'd seen what was maybe happening. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and all you could see out the corner of the screen was Kyle Walker coming in like a train, like as if saying, "Grab, grab, he's get back, he's yeah. back." <laughs> it's like, "Cheers, Jordan, I'm back now. It's okay." <laughs> and it was like, it was funny because it happened like twice, and he was just his legs going like as if he's like you know head down sprinting. I need to just get back here. <laughs> Yeah, and you can tell at this point as well that Jordan Henderson is absolutely cacking his pants <laughs> if Mbappe turns. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. You have to see him against your own players, don't you, to realise just how fast he is. You can't quite get the age of it until you see him against your own players and it's like, oh, that's how fast he is versus Jordan Henderson. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I tell you what, that now seems a good time. I would just give that man a match to give how it's ended for the tournament for England. Obviously, you know, we've been totting these up. Um, so like I say, you get 25 points for a win, 18 for second, 15 for third, all the way down to, to 1.4 tenth. Um, doubled up if it's a win. So, it's been plenty of points about. And sure, where do you want me to, how many do you want me to give you? Where shall I start? Top six? Yeah, top six in the tournament, yeah. So, in sixth place with 68 points, Harry Kane. Fair. Fifth place with 76 points is Phil Foden. Fourth place with 80 points uh, is Marcus Rashford. 
Third place with 85 points is Bukayo Saka. Uh, Rashford and Saka both had the one man of the match award. Uh, second place with 107 points is Maguire. Also got a man of the match in the game against USA. And then in the lead and victory, our player of the tournament, 135 points, two man of the match awards, Jude Bellingham. Yeah, I don't think that was... I, I think he'd have had to not play and someone have the game of the live for him not to win it. Um, yeah, he, he deserves it. He, he's played very well. But as a squad, I feel like everyone who played contributed, anyone who got minutes um, did, did the job. There was no one really, really where you'd think if there was another tournament in three months that you could probably take that squad again. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, I think it's very about like the spine of England because if you look at who played the most minutes... So, England, so I've got ideas. So Jordan Pickford played every minute, 450. Then you've got Stones, 436, Maguire, 430 in second and third. So that's your goalkeeper and your two centre-backs. Then you've got Luke Shaw, 425. Then it's then it's Declan Rice, 417. And then Bellingham, 414. So it's they've kept a very solid side there, haven't they? Like a defensive unit and... And then, like, say, just in front of the defence, it's only really been the right-back that, that's been switched at any point. And then, obviously, the attackers are the ones who sort of dropped in and out of games and been rotated a bit more. I think yeah. the, um, the, it, we're getting to a point where the, the first team is starting to sort of pick itself. And that can sometimes be a, a bad thing if it's because oh, you haven't got many good players. But um, I think if you, if you look at it from our point of view, we've got a first team where we're getting more and more sort of certain uh, first names on the sheet, so to speak. And then you look at the bench and it's frightening compared to some. So we've got a lot to look forward to still. I mean, I was, I was just going to say that it, it could be a bad thing because I think we've seen it with we've seen it with England under maybe Sven a bit when we had sort of the golden generation where it was from a closed shop, didn't it? There was no... Players knew they were going to get picked purely because of who they were and who they, you know, what team they played for and and what the name was. And so there was no sort of pressure on the shirt as such. I think it's yeah. just fair to say that this team's picking itself on merit. That, yeah, that, that's really the thing. Is you, want, you want a team that picks itself on its performances for this club, this team, not on just on, on its club form. Yeah. Because um, I think it's, it's not even just football. I think I remember there was a time with... Um, the England cricket side not long ago where 
you know, they, they were basically saying, oh, it's a closed shop and it was like the same team was picked for match after match after match after match. Thinking back to, I think it was like when, you know, and Kevin Peterson and that were around. And in the end, that led to complacency and it all sort of fell apart there. I think that's what you want to avoid, isn't it? It's not bad as a manager just to make one or two changes, especially when you're an international manager and you may go two, three months without a game, is to just keep rotating that side, even if you just make one or two changes just to look at somebody else, just to keep everybody on the toes. Absolutely. You see it happen with all the other internationals where they've got an obvious first 11 or at least sort of eight or nine of the first 11. And you'll still see them putting out players you've not heard of. It's quite a normal thing to do. So we're going to do the same and we'll give players a rest too. You've got to remember that these players tend to have busy schedules. We do have a lot of players at top clubs that compete in a lot of different cups and these players have paid a lot of money to perform for them clubs. So... I think Gareth Southgate, you've seen it in the, some of the, the, the friendlies, not the friendlies, the uh, Nations League matches, um, that he is willing to give people a game uh, because just because players need a rest too. I think that does come into it and that conditioning and keeping them generally fit and less likely to get big injuries. We've gone in with a pretty fit squad and it's stayed pretty fit, hasn't it? So we, we can say that yeah. perhaps that is part of what we plan to do. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the subject of Southgate, Lee, I mean, sort of moving, looking forwards now. I mean, is, is he the man for you? Do you think he should stay on? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult moment for him right now. You can see the man. You can see this means so much to him. And you can see that he's it's a long... Well, for me, it would be a long search to find uh, somebody who would who would care like he does um, for what he's put into it. And I think when you, when you saw his interview after the match, he, he seemed a little bit downbeat, didn't he? And I think he even said, like, we, we, we couldn't have done any more, you know, like, sort of, like, somebody who sort of reached the limit. But I think he, he did also say he wants to take some time to reflect. And I hope he does just think to himself, I want another crack with this bunch of players. A couple of them young ones, really special talents, plus ones coming through. What's he going to do instead? And who's going to replace him? Because some of the names that I've had suggested to me when I've had the conversations with people, thinking, I don't want them there. It's like Gareth Southgate, I quite like him with his waistcoat on, actually. Um, he's not that bad a guy. You know, we play good, clean, gentlemanly football. It's not all bad. It could be a lot worse, as we know. He's not making front-page headlines like Sven, is he? Or putting you to sleep like Roy Hodgson? Or, but the, I mean, Sven is excellent. Or, or meeting some fake shakes <laughs> like um, Sam, big Sam. Big, yeah, big sound. I mean, he's got a good record, we'll say that, but, but no. He's been at the game yeah. too long. Yeah, I think the thing, like I say, with Southgate is, he has people. You, you look at back at the previous tournaments, and the, what was levelled against him was we were too negative, too defensive, five at the back, scared of other teams, and that's why we lost. And they've totally changed that list. We went four at the back, we took it to teams, and we stuck with it, stuck with our principles and our strong points in the biggest game that we had and yeah we came out on the wrong side of it but actually it was a 50-50 game and that's what happens in 50-50 games there's a winner and there's a loser unfortunately it was England this time but that for me shows progression I don't know how you feel Jamie but for me he's, he's progressed here in this tournament compared to the Euros yeah, I mean, I think the only way he goes is if he decides that it's time to go. I don't think the FA will get rid. Don't blame them. He's got a contract through the next Euros, and I think he should see it through. Um, don't uh, extend it or anything like that. 
game, just literally build towards them Euros, and he can set it himself, because um, I think this is what he'll do. Say, so I'm going to see the contract through, I'm going to go to the next Euros, and then after that, I'm done. And I think if they do that, then I think the players might even give a bit extra, knowing that this is Southgate's last sort of hurrah for England. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly think that's the way to do it. He's signed his contract, see it through, uh, and then you've got two years then to find a successor, get someone in and around the squad, maybe not like fully in there, but just to see how it works and what Southgate does. If you want his successor to be uh, similar, not not like to Southgate, but to see how he runs things and how in, international football works, why not model it on what Gareth Southgate's done because it's worked. Well, I, I, it's worth pointing out here at this moment um, that we have had a little suspicion that, that Gareth Southgate may even have listened to this podcast um, when picking his team. <laughs> so if you are listening, Gareth, please, honestly, please just stick it out for another couple of years. I think you've got a really good bunch of players and they're all behind you. So come on, we'll, we'll win something. We will win something, I'm sure of it. <laughs> Do you... I mean, you've said there, Jamie, like not extending it. Is that not extending it at this time? Or... Not and then or leaving it to see what the um, what the performance is in the Euros, how we end up, how we play, how we do, are we still developing, and if there does seem like there's even more progression, um, and obviously you know we maybe we've lost a couple of players, a couple of new players have come in, but we still but we're actually moving up a level still in terms of taking the big games to opponents, and uh, maybe we've won a couple, lost in another semi final or a final. Do you then give him the World Cup as well, or are you are you thinking Euros and out regardless? Time for a change. You've had the job long enough. Yeah, I think there's a shelf life of international football, um, and you often see that managers only get two, three tournaments at most. I think Germany broke the trend with uh, Jurgen Lov, uh, where he had a lot of time in tournaments, uh, probably longer than he should have done in hindsight. Um, but yeah, for me, I think Southgate, two Euros, two World Cups, I think is probably enough. Um, and then you're looking at then a new generation of players coming through. And if you can get four tournaments out of a manager with the same sort of group of players, then you've done well. Um, but for me, then you've got to start looking towards the future and you're looking at a manager and you think, eight years, four tournaments, different group of players can we do something different? And that that's just me. That's just the way I potentially look at doing it. Um, if they want to keep him on and we do have a good Euros, then then fair play. I just think there's a shelf life in international management and there's no saying that Southgate wants to go 10, 12, 14 years managing England. Maybe he wants to go back to club football and do something. Yeah, it could be that that's where he feels he's got uh, unfinished business. He's proven that he is a, a, you know, a, a more than average manager with England in international football. So now he's got to go and sort of, you know, repair the reputation that he had maybe from his time at Middlesbrough, for example. Yeah, precisely. Um, looking, as we say, looking forward, and you're saying groups of players there, when it comes to naming the next squad, say stay does decide he's going to carry on two more years, um, for me, the next squad that we name for the next internationals, he's got to be looking at those championships in mind, and and building now, a side only picking players now that he feels are going to be in that side in two years' time. So 
anyone is there anybody in this squad who's maybe age wise or anything like that that you would feel shouldn't be involved with England any further? Jordan Henderson, Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. You think? I mean, how old's Trippier and Walker? Are they thirty-two. Yeah, and Henderson's thirty-one. So you think even thirty-three, thirty-four? That's they, they will have been. You're looking at other players around and thinking they will have been overtaken in those two years' time, and maybe yeah, maybe that like you say that Henderson's the the, the attributes and the positive stuff that that Henderson brings to a side can be attributed to a Rice and Bellingham maybe who see Rice has had two two tournaments now to in, yeah. in this England midfield. So he's yeah. got the experience. He'll have a couple of years more. You'll probably be what, 24, 25 by the time the next the tournament comes around. Yeah. Um yeah. again Bellingham, nineteen years old but has played a ridiculous amount of football already. You know, he could have played yeah. about you know could be on for three hundred and fifty games by the time the Euros comes out in his career at twenty one. <laughs> Yeah, and he's gonna like he's gonna get his move as well in here, in the, in the summer. So he's gonna be playing he's playing consistent Champions League football now. But he's gonna be consistently going to later stages of Champions League games. He's had this experience in a World Cup quarter final at the tender age of nineteen. Um, he's gonna have a lot of experience then potentially in the Premier League and as I am, well. I imagine as well he's going to be a team. This move he's going to be to a team who expect to win things at Dortmund. Second is okay, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas I think yeah. wherever he ends up now, it'll be no. You will be brought in to be part of a winning side, and you need to win things. Well, make of this what you will. But I had an interesting phone call while I was at work today, and I was speaking to a customer. We were talking about the World Cup, and um, he is actually friends with uh, Bellingham, uh, like, and he knows his family uh, quite well. And they are very, very much behind the move to Liverpool. I suppose geographically, it's probably as close yeah. as he's going to get to home, better than playing for like a London club. Yeah, uh, but apparently he'll. Is uh, that it's not going to be long until there's an announcement anyway. Well, yeah, they, this gentleman I spoke to, I'm not going to name him. I do know his name. Um, just in case you never know, because things like this can go viral. But yeah, um, I was told that this this move to Liverpool is very very much going to happen. It'd suit Liverpool, wouldn't he? It'd be it'd be a good fit for him. And Liverpool, yeah, absolutely. Liverpool need, and I think it, if he if he goes to City, I don't even know what's on the table for him. But if you can imagine, if he went to City, he's going to have to sort of like I don't know. Almost get shackled a little bit, isn't he? That, that's that's what happens at City. Yeah. Sort of fit in a little bit. Whereas I think Klopp lets yeah. players express themselves a little bit more. Well, look at Grealish at City. Look at the Grealish who signed from Villa and the player that he is now. Like yeah. I say, he potentially is a better footballer now, but he's been definitely been shackled, hasn't he? Oh yeah, he's not the same fun to watch, is he? No. <laughs> um. So, I mean, any, any other players, Lee? Anyone else you think? Or do you disagree with what Jamie just said there, Anderson Walker Trippier? It, well, it, it's sad to say, but I tell you what, when you think about it, I, I was thinking this when um, Wales went out, and you know we, we had a conversation. We're saying sort of Bale is he'll may may not play again. Ramsey's another one, one or two older players. And then I was thinking about with, with Belgium. You know, when Belgium went out, and they had a couple of the older, slower players. It was Hay at the back, and that became a bit of a, an infight. At the end of it, 
But ultimately, if they're the best players for the position, then they're going to get picked as long as they make themselves available. And, you know, you could you could have injuries. You could just have players completely out of form. Or you could just have a case of Henderson in two years' time when he's 33. He's still good enough. He still really is good enough. And it's a case of why wouldn't you take him? You take players in, in a World Cup squad that don't get a kick. And we've seen that every every time. So it's, you know... Some some of these players actually still might have a chance. I mean, Kyle, even Carl Walker, you know, what, it only takes a couple of injuries here and there. And it's a case of, well, he's still the most experienced and he's still as fast as, as a man five years younger than him. Do, do you not think that um, you could potentially waste 10, 12 internationals in, in what isn't many like between now and the Euros, you know, in two years, you know, the England don't play that many games, do they? Probably what twenty to twenty-five games, would you say, mm. over a two-year period? And if England sort of wait twelve months with playing these players, and then these, like, oh, actually, yeah, you know, Harvey Elliott's come up, for example, and you know, we're now we're going to be putting him in the field instead of Jordan Anderson or or whatever, you know, whoever comes in, um, then. All of a sudden, it's like, well, yeah, but we could have given him two years to get ready for those tournaments. Now he's got to, we've got to get him tournament ready and international ready in, in half the games. Well, we, we have had, to be fair, young players in the past who we've, we've had time to get them tournament ready uh, for a couple of years, whatever. There's, there's nothing at all that replicates that feeling for the players in that moment in the tournaments. That, and players who've had experience in big games, they can outperform far better footballers in the same games if they've never been there before. So it's, it, it is worth saying that, that that does have value to a squad to have players. There's players who've played it, you know, played for Brazil, uh, other South American sides, Italians, uh, French players, over 30, still pulling the strings, still looking brilliant. Look at Modric, what a footballer he is. And I think you can write them off a little bit quickly if they, if they lose a yard or two of pace and this out of the other. But if they've got it all in the head and they're organised as a unit, and I actually think that the bulk of this team is really strong. Um, it's disappointing how last night turned out, but any other game with that kind of balance of play, we, we might expect to take something from it. So, so I actually think that I'd wait and see, and I, I'd, I'd take it as it comes. I mean, if you, for example, with Kyle Walker uh, and Kieran Trippier, if we, if we see a young right-back starts to really, really look the part, or, you know, Trent starts to put in some really solid defensive performances that puts him in that little sort of circle of players. And yeah, you've got a reason to, to not take them, I think. But if there's nobody better, I don't think you have got a reason to not take them because I don't think that just blooding them there really makes a difference in the big games anyway. So, having said that, there's a, qualif- there's a European Championship qualifier next week. We're playing um, Lithuania. Who's your right back? Trent. Playing Lithuania, um, yeah, it'd be Trent if it was next week. And without being facetious, I'd be, I'd be resting the lads who've been to the World Cup. So, okay, the match is in two months' time then. <laughs> well, we've got to see who's fit and not, you know. <laughs> it, it, I'd, I'd probably act, to be fair, with the squad that we've got, I'd, I'd probably still play Walker. I don't see why he can't be as good a footballer in two years' time. I don't think he's thinking of hanging up his boots or dropping down to the championship in two years. So, why not? Okay, interesting. Nice, uh, nice little debate there. With two different sides of the story. Um, I think what we can do now to wrap up is just have a look through. So, 
Uh, the other quarterfinals, Argentina survived a war with the Netherlands. <laughs> Lit- nearly literal war, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they were they were throwing bombs. <laughs> um, I, the, my my favourite part of it all was the guy who I think did, did he who was it who fouled somebody got up and just blasted the ball into like the, it's as if like the the the, the all the substitutes in the backroom staff were all lined up like skittles and he just tried to take out as many as he could. <laughs> he got out. It was Paredes and he got absolutely nailed by Van Dijk. Yeah, yeah, he he into, yeah he absolutely. Yeah, door, though, yeah, absolutely smashed him, Van Dijk. <laughs> it was a bit of a naughty thing to do, wasn't it? Let's be honest. In any game of football, never mind a World Cup. Do as it mate. I saw people online trying to defend him, saying he didn't mean to kick it at the bench. What? He was just kicking out of play. Just a bad what shot. Were you watching? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! But um, they scraped through, didn't they, on penalties? Yeah. Um, Croatia managed to. I mean, other uh, looks like just a bunch of energy and uh, yeah, Jewish cell bunnies, aren't they? Just running round, match after match after match, extra time, time and time again, tournament after tournament. And just ridiculous. I mean, you, um, was it Brozovic, did you say, Jamie? had broken his own yeah. record before. I mean, yeah. he got booted into in the last game. And he, yeah. Um, but luckily, obviously, yellows are all taken off now. And again, like I say, he just, just keeps going, just keeps going. And I mean, we, we called it at the start, didn't we? You in particular, Jamie, called it that Brazil had nobody who can put the ball in the net. And that, yeah. I think that's what first time they came up to sort of came up against somebody who were organised, and and rigid and and defensively strong and clever, and all the tricks and flicks in the world, and they just they couldn't find a way through. Obviously, Neymar an extra time score, but then as soon as they've done that, they've slapped defending at the back, and Croatia were back level. I know it was weird. It was like a tale of two teams who didn't have a goal scorer. Um, and then one scored and so did the other one and it was just like yeah I never saw this coming because I think I actually called my prediction for this game was to Croatia to to just dodge a victory uh, on penalties potentially Um, just because they wouldn't score but neither would Brazil Um, and yeah I mean I was half sort of right but um, yeah I'm quite happy that Croatia went through hard-working side. Uh, I think it was Lee who pointed out that they've got a fantastic record since they've been allowed to compete in tournaments. Yeah, is this like their third semi-final? Something nuts in it. It's they did 98, yeah, yeah. 2018, 2022. Yeah, I mean, Lee, I mean, did you, were you... Were you uh, did you see this Brazil loss coming? I'm not trying to say I definitely saw it coming, but I actually fancied Croatia to get through. I wanted them to get through anyway, um, just because I wanted to see Brazil because I thought that England might be on the other side of the draw, you know. Um, but that, no, seriously, I, I do admire um, the, the way that Croatia are so resolute and so stubborn. And if they went 1-0 down, 90% of teams are beat there, the, the beat. And they just never, ever, ever give up. And when it goes to penalties, you, you think these are strong. These are mentally strong, these guys are. And, and the Brazilians, they, well, the, the, Jamie hit the nail on the head much, much earlier on when he said they just haven't got a, an out-and-out goal scorer, just a poacher like they've had before. And they've, they've always had that guy when they've had good teams and they've just not got him this time. 
And then obviously the one remaining quarterfinal, the boys. Run away, <laughs> run away. <laughs> uh, we're all off to Marrakesh, aren't we, for this on Wednesday night? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Morocco win the World Cup. I will be in Marrakesh for about a month. <laughs> um, so yes, Morocco did the, did the job. Saw off uh, Ronaldo and his mates. Yeah, they've made us look like predicting gods as well. Yeah. Is what they've done. Not a prediction. It was a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, it feels more like we've done well than they've done well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, again, they they were. They, they deserved the win, didn't they? There was no fluke about it. There's no how the hell they won that game. They they went out there and they did a job on Portugal. Yeah, I mean, they, they scored the goal and then defended. And not many teams score on them, apparently. So, um, as soon as you let them get in front, you have got a hell of a task to get back into it. Because they are so, so organised. And you could argue that they were missing the best defender. Because their Agar from uh, West Ham was missing been the best defender in the entire World Cup for, for them. And he didn't play. And now he's probably going to... I think he's recovered from injury, so he'll play the semi. And so they're only going to get in stronger, which is which is great. I love it. This is what the World Cup's about. The, the sad thing for me, and I'm sure one or two might agree with me on this, is I really fancy the chances of beating Morocco if we got past France. I'd, against Portugal, yeah. I'd have been really 50-50 with Portugal because of the history and because they do have a lot of quality. But I just thought we'd have found the battery and ran through Morocco. I think we'd have found a way. But it doesn't matter. It's all lifts and butts, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to cheer Morocco on now and um, hope they get to the final against Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Ronaldo uh, left on the bench. Do you think there'll be any fallout from that with Portugal? Um, I don't think they can be. They, no. They're a better side without him. Yeah. Uh, yes, they've just lost to Morocco, but they're still better without him. <laughs> I agree. I think they showed in the game before, didn't they, that um, once they're freed of the, the shackles of, of it sort of being about him, that they can, that, you know, as, as great of a career as he has and the amount of times that he has pulled that, you know, that, that side out of the mire. Uh, was it 100 108 international goals or something like that? Something like that. Something, something mental. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though that thing, you know, every every player's time comes to an end, doesn't it? And I think his has, and he probably needs to realise that now. Well, yeah. I mean, if he doesn't, uh, then he's going to be in for a very sore end of his career, I think. We don't want to see that. No, no, we do want to see that. Yes, we do. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy to see him in tears, to be honest with you. I still remember that wink. <laughs> I'm still bitter yeah. from that one, I am. So mm-hmm. I, I think, no, in all seriousness, I think he does need to accept that his time as a top, top player may be coming to an end. Yeah. And he can either go and get himself a nice contract somewhere or we can put his feet up or be a pundit. He's got the world. He's oyster in it now. Yeah. I don't think he needs the money to go into management or punditry. Can, can you imagine him as a pundit? He doesn't like being criticised. On talk TV with Piers Morgan, possibly. Yeah, I could see him on that. <laughs> he, I won't tell you what I think that would be called. Could you imagine him sat next to, in, in between Michael Richards and Roy Keane? <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay to watch that. 
throw Glenn Sims in there as well for a bit more sensibility. And Gary Neville, his best mate now. <laughs> uh, yeah, he loves he loves Gary Neville, doesn't he now? Not. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Get him, get him on Monday Night Football with Carragher and Neville. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, semi-final predictions, Argentina, Croatia. I think the Archies will do it. As, as much as it'd be nice for Croatia to get there again, I think the I think Messi's going to drag Argentina to that final. I Same. think, yeah, I think for me, Argentina will just about see, it. and I think I'd say it'll be a bit of a Messi brilliance. He's dragged them right the way through this tournament since missing the penalty against Saudi Arabia. He's just yeah, he's. Every match, he's he's it's, it's Messi and his ten mates, isn't it? That's literally yeah. what Argentina are. Yeah. Um, I think, like I say, he knows that it's his last chance, and as long as he doesn't, you know, I mean, he's only human at the end of the day, and if the pressure of the pressure can get to even the best players. Yeah, I sort of hope. He does it purely because I think it ends the debate of who's the best player ever. Oh yeah, it cements it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's over. You can't like the guy won a World Cup pretty much single-handedly. Um, you can't deny it. To be honest, it's already cemented. This is like the icing on the cement, or I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, to a lot of people, every, everyone already knows that Messi is yeah. the most naturally gifted footballer that there has ever been. Yeah, I think um, even the I mean, I. I as a footballer, I quite like or did quite like Ronaldo in his in his pomp. Like, um, he might kind of play, you know, like strong pace and that. Um, I sort of sometimes got lost watching Messi in Barcelona. I think, you know, Pep Guardiola. Although I can I can understand the the the, the skill involved in what they do and then the beauty of it. It's it was all a bit too. Like slow and predictable for me in the white. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? I agree. With I mean, you. I think I think there's a lot of opposition managers who will say it wasn't predictable because that's why they couldn't beat. Him, but, but, yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it, it was. This was like it was all sort of. Oh, they were just going to pass you today. Yeah, that's how yeah. they did. Yeah, they bored teams to death, didn't they? Sometimes it was yeah, more waiting for them to switch off, and then you've got a player like Messi who's in the gaps, or Iniesta can find the pass and. You've got a load of trouble. Yeah, whereas I think sort of, I was more sort of Ronaldo and Real Madrid, which was more sort of explosive, wasn't it? Create crazy chance in five ten seconds. If it doesn't, then then that's it. You know, the opposition got the ball, or it, the chance is gone, kind of thing. Um, but I can say that doesn't mean I don't under, don't appreciate the actual immense skill levels of Messi. Yeah. I think, and like you say. If you compare the two, I think Messi's actually you cannot you cannot argue that he is the most naturally gifted footballer. And I do think Ronaldo's is more done through sheer hard work. And I think Oh yeah, more like, dedicated, yeah. Yeah, he's the sort of dedication and making sure his body anything and giving his life to being prepared to play football into the one hundred percent of every day was you know, everything he ate, slept, drank, every moment he was awake was keeping his body in tip-top shape to be the best he could when he went out on the pitch. And that's 
why he was as good as he was. Like you say, Messi was sort of like a his footballing brain and, and everything that went with it was sort of God given, wasn't it? Yeah, everything that Messi had, he didn't have to work for. It was already there. Uh, and like you said, fair play to Ronaldo as well. Who, yeah, he had to work very, very hard to become the player he became. And no one could take that away from him. He was still a fantastic footballer. Um, still can do a bit. He, he needs to accept he's a bit more of a bit part player now. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of, for me, I'm always on the Messi side of the debate. Uh, that's got nothing to do with the fact that Ronaldo played for United or anything like that. Um, <laughs> no, no, seriously, it's, it's purely because I just enjoy watching Messi more. Um, and he was the sort of player I like, technically very, very good, hard to get the ball off, scored all sorts of goals, which Ronaldo did, scored all types of different kinds of goals. Um, but yeah, just with Messi, he was just so unbelievable to watch when he was in his pump. Neither of them could take a penalty. Then. If I was forced to choose a penalty take between the two of them, I'd always pick Ronaldo. And even he's missed a few. Yeah, but I'd put Messi on free kicks. So, yeah, yeah. Chin up, Harry. Yeah. Everybody, even the greatest, missed penalties. You're in great company. Um, and then, obviously, Wednesday night. Uh, France and Morocco. Are oh, the boys doing it? Yeah. I'm, I'm sticking with it now. That's it. I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. Absolutely, yeah. We can't pull out now, can we? This is it. You know, we've. I mean, we did. To be fair, it wouldn't really be pulling out. We did say Morocco would go out in the semi-finals. It was just going out to England. Yeah, but if it was England, I was going to say they were playing England then. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, I want them to do it. I want them to make the final. History needs to be made here. First African side to make the semi-finals. Will they feel like they've already won it? Like in their minds, this is their. They've. By getting to the semi-finals, this is them. They are champions anyway because they're the first Africans. This is the furthest any African side's ever gone. The history makers. I don't think they'll look at it like that. No, they're they're going to see this as yeah. the this is an opportunity, immortality. This mega history, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a big chance, and they've shown that they can keep a clean sheet against good sides as well. They've got to just, just yeah. keep doing that. Well, I mean, just keep winning one 0 lads. <laughs> Yeah, I have something else, you know, as well. I was reading about Morocco uh, on the internet, and it turns out that they actually eat goat for dinner. So Messi better watch out if they do get to the final. <laughs> 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 Ronaldo's already found out himself, you know, these guys don't mess about. They literally eat goat. <laughs> so be aware. Okay. It, not, not like a case of the Luis Suarez, is if they meet Argentina in the final, is it? <laughs> Go around taking a nibble. <laughs> That'll be uh, that'll be that uh, Amrabat going around and just biting people. <laughs> um, so Mbappe and his mates are coming home. So that'll be they've, they've seen, seen off Spain, Portugal, France, Belgium. Was it in the group stage as well? Yeah. Um, part of me wants Canada. to see Croatia, Morocco uh, in the final, just to repeat the group stage. Yeah, um, yeah, just to have that, and then also obviously, to me, the four teams that are left, um, Argentina, I, if they win it, I'd love to see them win it for Messi. Croatia, I think they're just hard-working guys. 
give leave everything out on the pitch. And after they were losing the last final, I think you know if they won it, credit to them, I'd be happy for that. France, if they win it, they're probably the least out of the four I'd like to win it. But if they do, at least we can say we lost to the eventual champions. Um, and Morocco, well, they're the boys, aren't they? So. <laughs> of course I want them to win I think if I was putting it in order of what I want I think it'd be Morocco Morocco, Argentina, Croatia, France would be my four in that order of which I'd want to win at this stage Yeah, I think I agree with the, the four in that order as well I think Morocco's more of a more of a pipe dream um, and if I'm being realistic then it would be fantastic to see Messi, Messi lift the World Cup yeah, for the spectacle, Morocco, but I'm, I'm going to stick with Messi. You know, I've been, been a Messi fanboy for a long time now, and, and I do believe he needs to win this this World Cup. So, that I mean, just back home as well, that's the one thing that Maradona's got uh, that Messi can't, can't boast. So, f- just yeah. for Leo Messi and for all the wonderful football I've, I've watched him play, I'd like to see him have a World Cup. My second is, surprisingly, uh, Croatia. Um, it's more more for Modric, but I just think there's such an impressive side. Uh, they, they do not give up, and they're so difficult to beat. And they've got a couple of older players who are definitely not going to get another crack at it now. You might not have thought they would after the last one, but they definitely won't now. I remember um, thinking after the last one, oh, that's Luka Modric's last World Cup. Yeah. If, if I want to be really, really cynical, you know, I, I could almost say that what Morocco do, I'm, I'm sure I've seen Stoke City play that way and, and it's been described as sort of anti-football. And that's not that's not to criticise because you have to make make do with what you've got and they've made, made do absolutely brilliantly and, and they play some nice stuff as well on the counter. Um, but for the, their third and, and France are fourth because it's, it's just, they're the best team in it. I've seen their name on a World Cup before, let somebody else have it. If they do get two, it's history, fair dues, but... To be honest, I don't personally care if France make history or not, um, but that would be the only spectacle of it. And yeah, we went out to the winners, even though we feel like we were the better team. So, um, yeah, I suppose what we best is just let everybody know that we will be back, won't we, on Thursday. Um, Yes. So we're going to record Thursday, aren't we? Um, And it'll be out on... What should we say? Out for a Saturday morning? Yeah, Saturday morning. So, just, and then the final Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, so you normally, if everyone listens to the normal Stoke City pods, that will be coming out as usual on Friday, ahead of the game of Bristol City. And then the preview, well, reviewing the semi-finals and previewing the final, that will be out on Saturday morning. Perfect. And we may, we may even talk about the third, fourth place game if we can be bothered. Ah, I forgot that was a thing. If it's, if the boys go out and then we're not talking about, we can't talk about the boys in a third, fourth place game. No. <laughs> no. Um, but yes, enjoy the semi finals, people, and we shall see you at the weekend. See you later. See ya. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.